apologies. I feel a little underprepared this morning, but God's not, is he? So that's good. God's with us. And I kind of... I'll get there. Just before I start uh, speaking this morning, as we're going uh, back into Daniel and continuing looking through the book of Daniel, we're in Daniel chapter 9. If you've got a Bible anyway, you can start looking for it. Daniel's towards the, old of the, towards the end of the Old Testament. So you can start turning to it. Uh, but just to say thank you to uh, those people who uh, contributed to our New Day fundraiser. New Day is an event we take our young people to every year. And uh, it's an event down in Norfolk run by New Frontiers, the part of churches that we're from. And uh, so thank you for those people who bid for certain things uh, to enable us to do that. You know, it, it was a bit of fun having a bit of fundraising bid, you know. But actually, it's a serious thing. We want our young people to encounter God, don't we? We want them to know him. We want them to know what it means to be the church on earth, expressing God's kingdom. We want them to know all that means and... Um, to love him more, to know his word more. And so, you know, this is a serious thing. Uh, and so whilst it's a bit of fun, there's also a serious edge to it as well. Um, and there's still some things left in the fundraiser as well. So if you didn't get a chance to bid for something, you still can. And I've put up there what's left on. If you've got kids, you might want an, a fr- an evening's babysitting and you can bid for that. And, uh, you know... You can, what you can do is you can email or you can text me your bid for one of those things. I've put them uh, on the welcome table as well. Don't text that phone number because it's wrong. <laughs> My fault. Um, you're, the right one's on there. But if it's email, if you email during while I'm preaching, I won't mind. You know, I won't be offended. <laughs> so if you want to, you're more than more than welcome. Anyway. Okay, we're getting back into Daniel. We're working our way through Daniel. We're almost at the end. And we're getting to the, 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 the juicy bits. Oh, Raj, Raj has really enjoyed it. That's because he hasn't had to preach all the hard bits. <laughs> <laughs> As you'll see this morning. Um, we're in Daniel chapter 9. Just a reminder of what's going on um, in Daniel Daniel, a Jew, has been taken to Babylon. His country has been invaded by the Babylonians. And many of them, not all, but many of them have been taken to Babylon to be Babylonianized. Many have been taken there. Daniel's one of them. So Daniel finds himself in Babylon. As we get to this, scholars say probably Daniel's probably in his 70s or 80s. Uh, he, he's, a, he's an old guy now. But as you see from the prayer he prays, as we look at this morning, man, doesn't he pray with faith? Do you know, I'm always excited by um, when we gather together for our monthly prayer meeting and uh, there's perhaps some older people there and I'm kind of looking around, just kind of seeing a few people. Man, I love it. Because you know they pray with faith? They really do. If you're a young person and you think, I want to learn how to pray, get alongside someone who's perhaps a bit older. They, do you know, they've, they've fought some battles. They've, uh, um, they've 
persisted in prayer for things, they know how to pray. So I want to encourage you, be at the monthly prayer meeting and to maybe stand next to one of these older guys or, or ladies and, uh, and just listen to them pray. And as we see, we see Daniel, probably in his 70s or 80s, praying with faith. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first half of Daniel 9 and then we're going to read the second half a little later on. But don't worry if you haven't got a Bible, it's, it's there for you. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of our, in the, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The, the, uh, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore the curses and sworn judgments are written in the law of Moses. The servant of God uh, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster under the whole heaven. Nothing has ever been done like what has been done to what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself, a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and we've done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and iniquity and, in, and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name.
So, Daniel is reading the scriptures, it says. He finds himself reading the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was around in the closing years of um, Judah's kingdom. The Jewish land at the time had uh, been uh, divided into two kingdoms, uh, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Israel had already fallen to its enemies. And Jeremiah warns about God's judgment on Judah in the form of the Babylonian Empire. Um, And this is the judgment that Daniel and the Jewish people are now experiencing. That because they kept turning from him, not trusting in him, turning to false gods, rejecting him, doing evil, God says he would bring judgment on them and it would be in the form of the Babylonians invading So Jerusalem was invaded, the temple was destroyed, and many Jews, as I said earlier, were taken off to Babylon, including Daniel. And so here's Daniel reading the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah at that time. And Jeremiah prophesies that the exile from Jerusalem would last for 70 years. You can read it in Jeremiah uh, chapter 25 and a little bit in chapter 29 as well. This is what it says. Perhaps this is what he was reading. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this. This is from Jeremiah 25. Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, And I'll bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I'll banish them, I'll banish from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and all these nations, and and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And then again in Jeremiah 29, these are perhaps more well-known verses. It says this, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. Often that part of Jeremiah 29 is written in nice little cards, isn't it? Or perhaps texted to someone to encourage them or to comfort them. Has anyone done that before? I know I've done that. Has anyone else sent parts of Jeremiah for, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. It does bring great encouragement, doesn't it? I've done it before and I probably will do it again, I can imagine. It's an enc- they're encouraging verses. But for Daniel, it causes him to pray. It stirs something in him to pray, to call on God, to cry out to God. Does the Bible do that to you? When you read the Bible, does it cause you to cry out to God? Cause you to worship him, to pray to him? Does it, does it draw you to him? 
Or is it just knowledge? I'm just gaining more knowledge. I'm just learning more stuff. Or is it drawing you into wonderful prayer and to call on him? So we get this amazing prayer from Daniel. We're going to look at that in this first half. And uh, I've got three points around his prayer that we're going to look at. It's a prayer of, firstly, it's a prayer of fellowship and asking. What do I mean by that? Well, firstly, fellowship. Daniel knows that prayer is not just an opportunity to ask God for a list of stuff. He says this in verse 4. He says, the Lord my God. And then he starts, oh Lord, the great and awesome God. Do you know, he knew that prayer was approaching the living God. See, prayer isn't just a few words into thin air, I hope God hears these, but an encounter with our Father in heaven. That's how Jesus told his disciples to pray. When they asked him, they said, God, teach us how to pray. How did it start? How did he start? He pray like this. Well done, Raj. Raj is awake. Our Father says, this is how you start. Our Father. We're coming to our Father. I know, as, we, as I pray, I'm coming to my Father in heaven who loves me and cares for me. That's how we start. How often do we start our prayers like this? God, I've been pretty bad this week. <laughs> before, before, I, before, before I can even enter your presence, God, I need to tell you these things that I've done. And then we reel off those things we've done wrong that week. And then we think, oh, maybe now God will accept me. I've got those off my chest now. No, we're meant to approach God as our Father. He loves us, cares for us, accepts us. Of course, yes, Jesus calls us to ask for forgiveness. He does it. I'm not saying, you know, hear what I am saying. He's, he's not, I'm not saying we don't ask for forgiveness, but all I'm saying is we don't start there. Look at the disciple, how Jesus tells his disciples to pray. Actually, forgiveness comes a long, way de- a long way further in the prayer. Yes, we ask for forgiveness, but we come knowing that we're accepted, loved by our Heavenly Father. So Daniel knows as he prays, he's encountering, he's meeting, he's fellowshipping with the living God. That's what he's doing. But he also knows this, that he can ask God to move. He can ask God to act. And he calls on God, restore Jerusalem, return worship of the living God to the temple in that city. So you might ask this, what, why does he need to do that? Why does he need to pray that? Jeremiah's prophesied it, well, it's guaranteed, isn't it? Surely? Jeremiah said it. Why does he need to pray it? Perhaps this is a lack of faith on Daniel's part. 
Perhaps he really doesn't believe what God said to Jeremiah. No. See, God calls us to pray. God calls us to, 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 to call on him to move and to ask. Do you know that there's, there's something in our prayers that God wants to use to change us? To, to change us and to change our situations. This is a great quote from Sinclair Ferguson about uh, this uh, of Daniel's prayer. He says this, Daniel knows that God employs prayer as the means by which he is pleased to fulfill his word. Do you know there's something about God wanting us to find our delight in him? To find our delight in him. Find that he's all we need. That we can depend and that we can trust on him. Do you know it pleases him to fulfil his word through our prayers? It does. It delights him. Perhaps are there prophetic promises that you have personally, you know. Just think for a minute. Perhaps there are people have prayed things over you, perhaps prophesied over you, perhaps you've been reading the Bible and you just know, God's promised this to me, something. Or perhaps even as we think as a church, some of the promises that have been prophesied over us. Do we just sit back? Do we just wait? Or do they cause us to pray? Do they cause us to seek God? Do they cause us to call on him? So it's a prayer of fellowship and a prayer of asking. Secondly, it's a prayer appealing to God's righteousness. Daniel prays this, Lord, you are righteous. And, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts. What is God's righteousness? How do we define that? What do we mean by that? This is what Wayne Grudem says. Uh, famous uh, Bible teacher and Bible scholar. He says this, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is he himself is the final standard of what is right. <laughs> Could say, God's always true to himself. He will always do what he says and what he says and what he does are always right. He can't be anything other than Righteous. So Daniel doesn't appeal to God on the basis that he deserves it. Don't you know what we've been through? Don't you know how much better we could serve you if we were in our land? Do you know, if we think that God needs us, if we think that God's in debt to us, needs us to fulfil his plans, we've got it wrong. We've got it totally wrong. But we can trust that all he does is right. Is your prayer life focused on convincing God? Or is it on his righteousness and who he is, on his goodness? Because he finishes his prayer like this. Jerusalem is the city that bears your name. We're the people who bear your name. In other words, Jerusalem's yours, God. The, the people, the people of God, we're yours. 
See, we can often pray based on our current situation, can't we? I can often pray based on my current situation. I've had a bad week. I'm not sure God's going to answer my prayers very well this week. I've had a good week. Hey, God's really going to listen to me this week because I've been good. And we can often base our prayers on that, can't we? How are we feeling? How are we doing? When actually, we can pray, you can pray, I can pray as those that bear Jesus' name. Paul tells this to the Roman church in Romans 1. He says this, you've been called to belong to Christ. You've been called, you've been called to belong to Christ. Jubilee, you've been called to belong to Christ. And because we belong, we're his. We're given the righteousness of Christ. It's given to us. It's ours. And I can pray on that. Lord, I'm not coming to you based on my week. I'm not coming to you based on, I've been good this week. I've been really kind to the kids and I've I have prayed every day this week and, you know, I've read loads of Bible. No, I'm coming in the righteousness of Christ. I'm coming because, because he's loved by the Father. I know that I'm loved by the Father. I know I'm coming clothed in his righteousness. And I know that's forever. I'm not coming in my own goodness, but in Christ's righteousness. It's amazing. And thirdly, it's a community conscious prayer. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? But I'll I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean by that. It's a community prayer. You know, he doesn't say, I've been good. Hey, I've been upright. It's just the rest of them. It's just the rest of those Jews. They've been really bad. But I've been good, God. Actually, it's more of a we prayer than an I prayer. It's more of a we than an I prayer. So he is very aware that his community, his people, have gone away from God. They've disobeyed God. They've rebelled against God. So he's aware that they were meant to be God's people. We're meant to be God's people. We're meant to live for God, to trust in God with their very lives. This is what God said to the the Jews in Exodus. I'll take you to be my people and I will be your God. And Daniel senses the burden, the weight of the sin of the people in turning to God. He uses words like this. We are covered with shame. We have rebelled. We've not obeyed. See, as he focuses on God's righteousness, God's goodness, his concern isn't simply for himself but for his people. And in fact, it goes further than that. In fact, it goes further than that. He knows that they were meant to be a light to the world, a light to those around him, that their lives were meant to reflect the glory of God to the other nations around them. It was never just to be about them. It was about going to the nations. It was about the nations knowing the glory of God. This is what uh, uh, David writes in the Psalms. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of your name. And then he says this in Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth will remember 
and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. He's basically saying this, Lord, we bear your name so that your name might be known among the nations. But restore Jerusalem, restore the temple so that your name might be known. See, our prayer isn't simply just to be blessed and be comfortable, is it? Our prayer isn't that we are just... Make us a comfortable church, God. Make us a, comf- make us a, make us a happy church that are comfortable with ourselves. I pray we are a happy church, but just make, you know, just, make us, just make it about us so that we're comfortable. But actually, our prayer is enable us to bless communities in Teesside. Enable us to bless the UK. Enable us to bless the UK and nation after nation after nation. Bless us so that we might bless those around us. It's interesting what God was speaking to us through the worship about reaching out to those on Teesside, reaching out to those who find they don't have food, <laughs> reaching out to find those that don't have hope. that need to know the love of God. We're not called to be a comfortable group, but a group that are sent. In fact, that's Jesus' words, isn't it? As a father sent me, I'm sending you. We're a sent people to declare the goodness of God. How often are my prayers focused on me? Hey, how, how often are your prayers focused on you? How often are my prayers focused on the community? <laughs> How often are your prayers focused on the communities around you? See, following Jesus changes us from being people who exclusively think about me and my best and it's all about me to being about us and to be about those around us that don't know him. Okay, that's Daniel's prayer. We're going to go on to the angel's message. Are you ready? You need to be for this bit. You do. But we need to, perhaps you need to just, re- you know, get ready for this. Just wake up a little bit. Put, put your, someone taught me that normally wakes you up if you try and kind of touch your ear over the other side and then try a little bit. Apparently, I don't know why, that meant to wake you up a bit. Do you feel a little more awake? Everyone's saying no. Right. Okay. Let's look at Daniel 9, uh, 20 onwards. And we've got the words up on the screen as well for that too. So he's prayed this amazing prayer and then we get this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my, name, uh, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer... Gabriel, the man who I'd seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. 
77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this from the issue of decree to to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be 77s and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. The people of the ruler who will, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Until the end that is decreed, that, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Whew. Okay. So if you like numbers, you're probably okay with that. But if you don't like numbers, that's probably been a bit hard. So we get in the second half of this chapter, this message from the angel. So Daniel's been praying about the 70 years that the people are to be exiled, prophesied by Jeremiah. And now the angel's talking about 70 sevens and 62 sevens and one seven. What does it all mean? There has been much debate and discussion about it. Much, much, much. Is it symbolic? You know, seven is often a symbolic number in the Bible, isn't it? Often seven means perfection, it means... uh, it's used in the Bible to be symbolic, not actually seven. Is it 77s like when Jesus talks about forgiveness? So when someone comes to Jesus and says, um, uh, how many times should I, f- I can't remember how it goes, but how many times should I forgive um, uh, someone who sins against me? Is it up to seven times? And what does Jesus say to him? No, I tell you, 77 or 70 times 7. Does, does Jesus mean, well, actually, if it's 78, then that's all right? Does he mean, you know, when he gets to 67, give him a warning? Does he mean that? No, no, he doesn't. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's, he's, he's totally changing the guy's idea of what forgiveness is, actually, if you read what he goes on to say. Or... Are all these numbers referring to actual events? Are they referring, as some say, to the birth of Jesus, to um, other events that go on later in Israel's history? And we can tie ourselves into all sorts of knots. So you'll be pleased to know we're not going to go there today. And uh, what, what I'm going to say is this. What's often happening in Daniel's visions is he's often seeing different time frames and they sometimes are all mixed together. And so he can often be talking about events sometimes in the near future, in the distant future and at the end of the age, uh, at the end of the world. 
and sometimes they can be kind of all mixed together. One Bible uh, writer says it's a bit like a mountain range. Does anyone like walking? I like a bit of walking. Not too much, but a little bit. Anyone like going to a nice mountain range? Does anyone like seeing a nice mountain range? Yes, no, I'm very scared. It's far larger. You live near the hills. You should love the hills. Often, what we see in Daniel's visions is it's like a mountain range. And this is what Daniel's seeing. And you know, there is uh, distance between the mountains, but you can't always tell, can you? You see a mountain range and you see these hills and you see some at the front, and some, of them, but you can't tell the distance between them. Maybe, it's a long, maybe for some of them it's a long distance, maybe for some of them it's a short distance. But actually what Daniel is seeing is this. He's seeing the big picture. And so when we get into details, this, uh, we can sometimes miss what actually, perhaps what Daniel is saying. He's giving us a big picture. But what I think is helpful to notice is this. See, Daniel's prayer is focused on returning to Jerusalem. It's focused on returning to the temple where sacrifice can be made again to make the people right with God. But actually, the angel's message is a much bigger vision than that. Much bigger. It's a much bigger plan that God has for men and women. In fact... The temple, the sacrifices that would take place for the people of God there were a shadow of what was to come. So let's look at part of that message. Look in verse 24, it says this, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness. See, the angel is changing his expectation. God will do something far greater, Daniel. See, the sacrifices were a shadow. A shadow of something greater. Sacrifices couldn't really deal with the heart of sin. Couldn't deal with the real problem of sin and disobedience. But there will, this passage suggests, alludes to, There will be a sacrifice one day that will deal with sin, deal with disobedience once and for all. See, Daniel, we see, takes sin seriously in that prayer. We read it. He's serious about sin. He knows the the serious consequence of disobeying God, of what it means to be under the wrath of God. He's serious about it. But you know, sin, like the sin Daniel is talking about for him and his people, isn't just a problem two and a half thousand years ago. Actually, it's a problem today as well. And it's a serious problem. And we need to take it seriously. So you listen to Hebrews 10. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. And it's a bit confusing because it refers to Jesus as both uh, a priest and a sacrifice that a priest would make. So just bear that in mind as we read it. It's referring to Jesus as both. 
It says this, day after day, this is what would happen in the temple, day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, when Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for our sin, it was enough to deal with it forever. He sat down. The Bible often talks about people sitting down. Sitting down can often mean in the Bible, it's finished, it's done, it was enough. His sacrifice was enough. And the angel showing Daniel, look, what humans can't deal with, God will deal with one day, through Jesus, forever. He will deal with sin. See, it reminds me of the story that's often told on Alpha, and uh, if you're on our current Alpha course, or have been, and you've heard this story, then uh, many apologies yet. Um, But, you know, you can hear it again, it's a great story. It reminds me of this story that's often told on Alpha. Two people went to school and university together, and they developed a close friendship. Have we had this one yet on Alpha? No? No? Am I, am I nicking someone's story for this week? No? Okay. Two people went through school and university together and developed a close friendship. Life went on, and they went their separate ways, and they lost contact. One went on to become a judge, while the other went down and down and ended up a criminal. One day, the criminal appeared before the judge. He'd committed a crime to which he'd pleaded guilty. The judge recognised his old friend and he faced a dilemma. He was a judge. He had to be just. He couldn't just let the man off. On the other hand, he didn't want to punish the man because he loved him. So he told his friend that he would fine him the correct penalty for the offence. That is justice. Or righteousness, actually. Then he came down from his position as judge and he wrote a cheque for the amount of the fine and he gave it to his friend, saying that he would pay the penalty for him. That is love. See, God has judged us guilty. It's not just a fine, it's death. That's the penalty. But in his love, he came to earth in Jesus. And not simply just writing us a cheque, but giving his life up on a cross. A sacrifice for us. See, that's what verse 24 of the angel's message talks about. An end to sin, atonement for wickedness, everlasting righteousness. That one day God would, through Christ, deal with what separated us from him to bring us back to God. That you and I that you and I would be seen righteous in God's eyes. See, the same righteousness that Daniel's so passionate about in his prayer is the righteousness that's given to you and I in Christ. Because Jesus is righteous, we're seen as righteous. We're changed people, new creations. I want us to respond, and we're going to break bread in a minute. I think it's quite helpful actually to break bread to respond to this to respond you know just as just as Daniel 
just as Daniel sees the seriousness of sin, actually, can I, can I suggest sometimes, whilst we take, we, we take much joy in breaking bread and the wine, and we take much fellowship in it and friendship in it, and it might be informal, but please, you know, remember, it's, sin is serious, and we've been absolutely, totally forgiven. And that sin's been dealt with on the cross. And actually, we celebrate that as we take the bread and the wine together. So we're serious and at the same time so joyful and so glad that we can celebrate that together as family. But firstly, I want to ask this. Have you made a decision to accept Jesus' death for you on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin? I want to encourage you. Why don't you do that today? You could even do that as we break bread and wine. You can make that your prayer. Make that your response. Break bread and wine with us. Say, I'm choosing to accept Jesus' death as a sacrifice for my sin. Secondly, are you and I, are we continuing to trust in that sacrifice? We're not moving to, and now it's up to me, now it's up to my efforts. No, no, we are secure that his sacrifice was enough for our sin forever. And finally, this. This is how I think we should respond to to this message as well and and just bear this in mind as we break bread. You know, we can often think we know what our society needs. They need this. Daniel kind of thought, I think it's this. But actually, God's plan is very different. God knows what men and women need. I love that word about reaching out to the poor, about clothing the poor, about feeding the poor. But we do that because we've encountered Christ. And yes, it comes with no strings attached, but we want them to know the love of God. We want them to know what it is to know Christ and to love him and to know him as their saviour. So we're going to break bread. I want us to stand. I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to move around. I want us to, um, you know, we don't need the band to come and play or anything like that, but what I want us to do is to be very uh, communal. You know, this was a very, as I talked about, being community conscious. Let's be community conscious as we break bread together. Let's get amongst one another. Let's, move, let's look out for people. Let's move around. Let's break bread with friends. Hey, you can break bread one or two times. That's not a problem. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to break bread and celebrate Jesus together. We thank you, Jesus, that you were the perfect sacrifice for us. We thank you, Jesus, that through your death we are reconciled to God. We're reconciled to the Father. And we love you. We say we respond to your love. You loved us first and gave yourself as a sacrifice for us. And so we celebrate today your death, but we also celebrate today that you're alive. You are alive today and one day you will return. And so we will celebrate this meal together, this bread and this grape juice, until you return. We thank you, we love you, and we celebrate your victory at the cross today. Why don't, we, why don't we move around? Let's 
uh, why don't you go and grab some bread and wine, let's break bread together, um, let's go, let's not be somber, it's a celebration as well as um, a remembrance of all who Jesus is. So go! And if we've got any music we could put on in the back, that might be helpful, um, but it's not necessary. Sorry to spring that.